Hello and welcome again to The Scrum, WGBH News' political podcast. I'm Adam Riley, and I'm joined in this episode by Peter Kadzis, my WGBH News colleague. Peter, hello. Greetings. I'm also joined by Joan Vanaki, the columnist, associate editor, and editorial board member at the Boston Globe. Joan, thank you for coming from downtown to Brighton on a day when we're being battered by the remnants of Hurricane Florence. Nice to be here. In this episode, we'll be discussing a trio of topics, the politics of the gas explosions that rocked the Merrimack Valley, Governor Charlie Baker's decision to endorse State Rep Jeff Deal in the U.S. Senate race, and whether Deal's opponent, Elizabeth Warren, might be able to give Jay Gonzalez an extra boost in his bid to unseat Baker. First up, I know talking about the politics of a situation that involves human suffering can sound callous, and there is no question that people are still suffering in the Merrimack Valley right now. One person was killed in the blasts that hit last week. Dozens of people were injured, and it's going to be weeks before Columbia Gas customers in Lawrence, Andover, and North Andover have their service restored and get their lives back to normal. And yet politics are unavoidable here. Right after the blasts, Governor Baker said Columbia's response had been, quote, adequate. His Democratic opponent, Jay Gonzalez, ripped that characterization on Twitter, saying, quote, Columbia Gas's response was anything but adequate. And for good measure, Gonzalez went on to accuse the state's Department of Public Utilities of basically being in the pocket of the people they are supposed to regulate. Joan, what do you make, at least up until this point, of Baker's handling of this disaster and the way Jay Gonzalez has responded to it? Well, I think Governor Baker misspoke when he said their um, response was adequate. And I think Jay Gonzalez was completely within the realms of politics um, to call him out and say that the response was inadequate. Saying that there's a cozy relationship between the DPU and the company, I don't think we've established that yet. I mean, if there has been a lack of oversight um, that they can be called out on, I haven't seen that yet. If it's there, then it becomes legitimate criticism. Peter, have you seen any evidence to back up Gonzalez's claim that essentially the DP is in the pocket of big utilities? No, I wouldn't be shocked if they were too sensitive to the utilities concerns. That's what happens to most regulators. You know, in Washington, the SEC is more sensitive to Wall Street than they are the consumers. So I wouldn't be surprised, but I don't know. But a couple of things here. Baker at 1230 that night said their response was adequate. I think he was giving them the benefit of the doubt. By the way, I thought Baker's performance that night was pretty shaky, uh, at least by Baker's standards. How so? He just was not commanding. You know, he was reading off paper. I was surprised. He, he, he usually cuts a better figure. It was a very unusual accident. I think he rebounded the next day when they declared a state of emergency and put Eversource in, in charge. If he hadn't rebounded, that day, I'd think he'd be in some trouble. But I I don't think Gonzalez has made the case yet. He's much better off producing the evidence, which I think many of us would like to see, that the DPU is in fact in the tank. Columbia itself has a, a long history of, let's just say, being non-compliant hmm. with regulations. You know, they're sort of like the Bonnie Fife of utilities. I mean, it's not that they're like deeply evil. This is my impression. It's just that they're, they're sort of moderately incompetent. Yeah, when you say that, I think bumbling and incompetent. Yeah. Joan, do you buy Peter's idea that Baker 
struggled at the outset to respond to this in a commanding and compelling way, but then found his, his rhythm soon thereafter? I basically agree with it. I mean, Baker has sold himself as manager-in-chief. Um, remember, Menino was urban mechanic-in-chief. I mean, he's. we look to him to be the CEO, to be cool, calm, and collected, um, and, and sort of put out this air of competence and in charge. And when it first happened, he didn't look as smooth as we've come to think, I think, of, of Charlie Baker. When you look back at the whole history of crises and governors in Massachusetts, I mean, we go down the Dukakis and the blizzard, Romney and the big dig. I heard you actually talk on the air about Deval Patrick and a the Western, a water, Western break. water break, yeah. which I didn't remember, but you reminded me of. So there is this opportunity in crisis for governors. And this seemed at first Baker-made. I mean, that he would just ride in and take control. And it seemed like it took him a good 12 to 18 hours to figure out that this was his moment and he needed to seize it. A good 18 hours. Baker can't really profit from this because his standing is kind of high, but he can suffer from it. I'll tell you, the most interesting thing so far is it hasn't received much attention yet, but I think it will, is when Gonzalez has called for an end to the further development of natural gas infrastructure. As a political question, the question is, should there be more natural gas in Massachusetts? And that's one that there could be some really compelling television ads. It'll be for sure debated in the debates. So to me, that's the really deep and interesting thing here. Well, right. I mean, then, oh, I, ahead, I was just going to say this really a highly energized topic, a lot of political no activists, you know, taking up that cause. So if Gonzalez could tap into that, I guess that would be another pun, right? Um, and, and sort of <laughs> energize his campaign around that issue. You know, there's political potential there. How much of an appetite do you think there is for the argument that Massachusetts needs to go cold turkey when it comes to traditional energy sources and and really push renewable energy development. I mean, uh, Joan, as you know from the, I think it's worth mentioning here. You know, you're on the Globe Ed Board. The Globe has editorialized in favor of the development of new natural gas infrastructure, and I've seen some of the pushback to that from people in the environmental community who, th you know, can't believe that the Globe isn't on their side when it comes to curtailing this stuff and pushing for renewables instead. Do you think that that is a, a source of frustration and agitation that is big enough to give Gonzalez a boost if he manages to draw on it? I don't know if it's big enough, but I mean, I do think it's, it's definitely an area where people hold very um, strong opinions. I know that the Globe did surprise a lot of people with that position. Um, just to clarify, I am on the Ed board. When we reach these decisions, it's kind of a consensus is reached. One person usually writes the editorial. I didn't play a role in the writing of any of those editorials. It was Noted. under the regime of our previous editor, Ellen Clegg. We now have a new leader, Shirley Leung. So I think it'll you be interesting. You can hear her on Boston Public Radio. Right. On and yeah. she's a highly opinionated editor <laughs> and columnist. So I think it will be interesting to see if we take it up and, and revise our opinion. We haven't yet. Peter, you think there's big opportunity here for Gonzalez? Well, there's opportunity, and Gonzalez needs to seize every opportunity he can. You know, he doesn't have widespread name recognition yet. And the anti-gas coalition lobby 
faction in, in Massachusetts is sizable and is considerable. So it would, it, it would be smart politics for him to go that way. I'm not sure it's good for the economy. And, and the reason I say that is I'm, I'm sort of indifferent to natural gas. I don't see any choice. And I'm one of those people who think that while I'm in favor of renewables, I don't think that air or solar is wind rather or solar is at a point to meet our needs. But I'd like to hear a healthy debate over that between the two candidates for governor. Could I just say two quick things? I mean, I'm not an energy expert or anything like that. I'm just sort of the average person when it comes to things like that. And an average person thinks that safety matters. Oh, well, right. so, no, no, no. By so the way, I'd I like think to, it's a potent... I'd like to make yeah. sure that that um, the pipelines are safe and what happened there is, isn't going to happen somewhere else. So I think you don't want to play into fear. I mean, you don't want to drive a fear irrationally. But I think it's a fair question to just sort of, que- you know, just think about the whole safety issue. As far as the politics, it kind of would tap into that progressive element in the Democratic Party that has helped in Ayanna Presley beat Capuano. It's, you know, a progressive kind of left issue, isn't it? Where you've got a lot of activists who really care about the issue. And if they feel that one candidate is more sympathetic to them than the other, it, it could somewhat shake up the political no, it, landscape. It, it could. I would also say that th- those same progressive forces are by and large insensitive to the cost of what it is they're putting forward. Anyway. But it, worth mentioning, let me throw out a couple points, then we'll move on to our next topic. Uh, Maura Healy created that report a couple years back, right, saying that she had kicked the tires on the needs of ratepayers and the proposals of utilities and sundry other considerations, and that the state simply didn't need any more new infrastructure to meet its natural gas demand. Now, she's not, she's a progressive darling, but she's not some sort of uh, zany fringe environmental activist. She is the primary liaison between Massachusetts ratepayers and the utilities. So to me, that suggests that an argument can be made that from a cost point of view, the proposal to put a moratorium on new natural gas construction is not a non-starter. Well, then she should speak up. No, That's I true. Mean, by the yeah. way, I had forgotten about that report. Then let her speak up. Let a thousand flowers bloom. The other thing I would note is that Charlie Baker, I think, has had a little bit of trouble talking about the energy infrastructure issue. I remember doing a story involving that Weymouth compressor that was really controversial and hearing the governor going back for the story and listening to comments he'd made on Boston Public Radio, I'll mention it again, in which he said essentially, you know, this is a federal decision. The state can't really do very much when it comes to to regulating this or pushing back at, at the proposal for a compressor. And that turned out to just be factually wrong. He never admitted that, but he he didn't want to have to deal with this. He didn't want to have to have it be his problem or something that he could control and be con- con- uh, criticized on. But it is. Uh, and and so he, I think that struggle, again, is something that might be reason for Jay Gonzalez well, to see this as a, an opportunity source. Not exactly a profiling courage on the governor's part, because Weymouth itself was clearly in his realm. However, and I wouldn't have known this, this is how journalists become instant experts, just how federal an issue natural gas is. For example, the parent company of Columbia is spread all over the country, and to get the best information on how lax Columbia has been, you go to federal databases. So 
Governor Baker was probably being directionally correct when he said, ultimately, this is a federal issue. But he was being a little bit cowardly when it came to addressing yeah. Weymouth itself. That's not so unusual. Um, I think Charlie oh. Baker, <laughs> you said the word cowardly. I mean, he's always somewhere in the safe middle ground where he doesn't want to commit to a strong position. And quite honestly, I think the media have kind of let him off pretty easy on policy issues like that. I think, if I recall, there have been lots of environmental activists who have even camped out in his office yeah, that, there, that well, really there was that happened. woman, uh, Andrea Honore, who was active on Twitter, who was going there every day to try to push him on this stuff. And yeah. And we've really, I don't want to say the royal we, but I haven't paid much attention to it. Well, since you I'll meant, take I'll take blame for that. Well, I'll take the blame <laughs> right there with you because I haven't done a, a, a ton. Since you mentioned the governor being in a safe, squishy middle ground, Let's talk about his endorsement of Jeff Deal before we move on to Elizabeth Warren and how she could boost Jay Gonzalez. Because it seems to me that this uh, Baker endorsement of Deal fits perfectly into the characterization you just offered of him being in a squishy middle space where it's hard to pin him down and take direct issue with something he's done. Because he has essentially said he is endorsing the Republican slate when it comes to uh, November's elections and that that includes Jeff Deal who is running for Senate against Elizabeth Warren. He hasn't cast it as sort of a full-throated, excited endorsement of Deal himself. Jay Gonzalez obviously thinks he can make it out to be that. He's gone after the governor for endorsing Deal. Is this a source of opportunity for the Democrats and for Jay Gonzalez heading toward November? Well, sure, they're, they're going to flog it, and some columnists are going to make hay with this. Look, Jeff Deal, very nice guy, He's an even less distinguished state legislator than Scott Brown, which is really saying something. He's got about as much chance of being elected to the U.S. Senate as I have. I just don't get worked up about it. The whole Republican slate is basically not particularly impressive. Wait, let me push back at you just a little bit. Doesn't Jeff Deal deserve more credit than you're giving him for leading that successful bid to, as he and his allies put it, tank the gas tax. Oh, and, sure. And the autom- I mean, that's that's a big thing, which I think goes beyond anything Scott Brown accomplished during his tenure at the State House. Uh, well, besides know, that, I mean... Big he, deal. He, or, big deal. Big okay. deal. Bob, another, we're filled uh, with replete with puns. He was the co-chair of the Trump campaign in 2016. He believes in the Trump agenda. I personally don't see how Charlie Baker, who says he didn't vote for Trump, has called him, uh, I don't know, reprehensible or said he's disappointed in him. I forget his how where exactly what word he's used to, to, to express his uh, dislike of Trump. I don't see how he can even endorse from a distance a person who whose agenda he doesn't believe in. It seems to me that, again, the most popular governor in the United States should have enough political capital to say, Yes, Jeff Deal is a Republican, but not I'm not that kind of Republican. I'm a Charlie Baker Republican. I'm not a Jeff Deal Republican. All right, let me throw out a, a thought experiment. If Charlie Baker had gotten, say, 90% of the vote in the Republican gubernatorial primary, as opposed to, what did he get? I seem to remember 60. Scott Lively got 36%. Yeah. So let's say Scott Lively gets 10%, Charlie Baker gets 90%. In that case, would he have found a way to not endorse Jeff Deal? 
I don't know. I think he probably would have felt more um, courageous I, I, doing I, I, it. I, I never. He would, he would. I think that that thirty-six percent worried him. I won't say scared, but worried him. I mean, let's face it: for a Republican to win in Massachusetts, you need all the independents, you need a slice of the Democrats, and you need the Republicans, right, in order to win election to yeah. statewide yeah. office. He can't afford to shear off too many groups. If Gonzalez shears off the left and the Scott Lively Republicans stay home, I don't know, maybe he's afraid that he's not going to win with 70% of the vote. He'll only win, <laughs> win with 55. He's doing what he has to do to win. That's all. And I think everyone, we're all projecting onto it. I like yeah. courage in my politics. Oh, come on. Courage. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff Deal is a non-entity, very pleasant non-entity. Uh, well, he's debating head-to-head -head with Elizabeth Warren, and he starts raising her um, Native American heritage and softens her up for the, for the Trump Actually, campaign. Actually, I'm, I'm surprised that hasn't started yet. But Elizabeth Warren's uh, a fully formed adult. She can take care of herself, uh, or at least I hope she can. I just think, look, the very idea that states like Massachusetts have a Republican governor is on its face rather absurd. They have them for one reason and one reason only. That's that the electorate doesn't completely trust the state legislature with the tax dollars. You know, we have something like that that may take place in Rhode Island where a very successful governor, Gina Raimondo, nevertheless is going to face a real challenge by the Republican candidate down there. New Hampshire, which is a, a true swing state, has a Republican governor. But um, it's a very unusual political situation, even in these unusual times. Having spoken up to defend Jeff Deal a moment ago, I got to say that one of the big reasons that I do find it hard to take him seriously as a general election threat to Elizabeth Warren is he doesn't seem to be moving on from the primary. He was tweeting recently about being at a fundraiser, I believe, in a Kushnet that Ann Coulter showed up at. And I just don't see how appearing in a Kushnet with Ann Coulter is a a winning strategy if you want to make Elizabeth Warren break a sweat. See, it's, I, I, it's a good way. It's a good way to get a crowd, probably. Or he couldn't get a, it's a. He'll get a bigger crowd with her there than if he did it by himself. And again, no, I know. Sure. That I, again, like the political odds are greatly against him, just like they were against Diana Presley. I mean, I don't think anything's a given in today's. <laughs> I wouldn't. In that's these a political times, and if a Jeff Deal by some miracle ended up being elected, he would be a vote for a Brett Kavanaugh. So it does matter, and endorsements do matter because they are an expression of who you stand with and who you say you believe in. I think she was trying to get you to respond to that. I've rendered, him, I've rendered him speechless. I'm speechless. <laughs> I, I just can't take him seriously. All right. Let's talk about Elizabeth Warren's appearances with and on behalf of Jay Gonzalez. And I guess the theme of this conversation has basically turned out to be could this thing help out Jay Gonzalez? Well, okay, if not, maybe how about this thing? Well, okay, how about this third thing? Elizabeth Warren has, I believe, made three appearances with Jay Gonzalez since the primary. She's been with him in Worcester, in Cambridge, in Lowell. She has been joined at at least some of those by Ayanna Presley. And Maura Healy. And Maura Healy. Thank you. Good point. Could Elizabeth Warren, especially if she does not feel pressed or beset by Jeff Deal, could she potentially become Gonzalez's greatest asset as he tries to do what no one thinks he's going to do and beat Charlie Baker? 
I think there's a paradox at work here. If Elizabeth Warren is really viciously and heavily attacked by the Republican Party, I mean, if a lot of the money comes in from out of state and really tries to, you know, go medieval on her reputation, then she could turn out to be maybe the best thing that happened to Jay Gonzalez because then we could have a situation where the turnout for Elizabeth Warren was so great that there'd be terrific coattails and it could definitely benefit Gonzalez. And, you know, I'm not saying that's what's planned. Elizabeth Warren is the most charismatic Democrat in Massachusetts. I think she's being a good Democrat and a sort of titular head of the party by doing this. She's doing a good job for herself as, as a candidate. And even though I doubt she may ultimately won, she's testing out a run for presidency. And she's not as great on the campaign stump as some. It, it's exhausting. I think she's putting herself through the paces. But I think this is all very good for Gonzalez and for Democrats in general in the state. Uh, whether or not the Republicans go medieval on Elizabeth Warren, I think she is absolutely the best thing that Jay Gonzalez has going for him right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. because basically, if you were to talk to anybody in the Democratic establishment, they really don't think he can win. Probably most of them don't really want to have to come out and even support him. They think Charlie Baker is going to win, and probably a lot of them want him to win. But the fact that Elizabeth Warren, Maura Healey, and Ayanna Presley, who, by the way, happen to be three women, yeah. I was pointing out the obvious, are standing near him, Again, I don't know that it's enough to get him elected, but it gives, I think, if anybody has questions about Baker, it may be women, not because he's a bad guy, but because they look at things like education and infrastructure and transportation and think that maybe investing it isn't, in it isn't a terrible thing. So there's like the woman element. And then there's, again, the progressive element, which is the most energized part of the Democratic Party. So it it gives Gonzalez a boost, I think. Oh, it does. And, and, a, it, it, and a credibility boost, which he really needs. Yeah. Your point, Joan, about women taking a look and in, in seeing the need for investment in things like education, that's a pretty valid point. I think it would take a lot, but it's quite doable for this trio of leaders to perhaps coalesce that way. But Gonzalez can't do it on his own. No, I mean, it reminds me of, I mean, again, Jay Gonzalez is no Deval Patrick, even though he worked for him. But when Patrick first ran, I mean, I always remember, you all remember, you know, these are your roads, these are your bridges, these are your schools. And he kind of got people thinking for the first time after Weld, after Romney, that, yeah, we need to invest in these things if we want them to get better and we want them to work. That's the democratic message. And Baker isn't really, he's just talking about the status quo and waiting 12 to 15 years to maybe make the tea better. No, in that wait 10 to 15 years is um, I'll be ready for the ride by then. So yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. And that could trip him up, especially with the tea. I mean, I saw uh, Katie Lennon on tweeted... Of Statehouse News? It was Downtown Crossing, I think. And there were three to five tiles from the ceiling that had fallen 
on the tracks. Today there was rain pouring through, through in, I think, Park Street. Park Street. I saw that on Twitter. Yeah, so. I mean, I've been saying, hey, to that I, I responded, thank God it's not exploding. And I yeah. said, but the day is young. <laughs> you know, when you guys the, were talking... The, oh, go the, ahead. The, I'm sorry, just Peter. the fact that the tea is so decrepit, and I, I hope this doesn't happen, but, you know, no one thought there'd be an... Exp no one thought there'd be an explosion, series of explosion in the Merrimack Valley. It's the unpredictable. What happens if, you know, there's a really bad T accident? Or the garage, a garage collapses when people are, are in it. Are yeah. in it. Yeah. When you were talking about Gonzalez getting a stamp of approval from three women who are beloved by progressive voters, I was thinking, and, and this is just one example. Uh, I don't know if I'm overgeneralizing here, but I was remembering that appearance that Baker really made, recently made at the L Street Tavern in South Boston where he watched the Patriots game and poured some beers. And I, my recollection is that Lauren Baker was with him for that appearance. But I do think of him on the campaign trail as having a sort of a, a bro-ish style when it comes to campaigning and working crowds. So it'll be interesting. I, I don't know if you can have a gendered campaign style or not, or maybe I shouldn't even be talking in those terms in, in this day and age. But uh, I just wonder if we might see a stylistic contrast emerging with Gonzalez and Baker. I'll tell you, if I were a political consultant, whomever I was advising, I would say spend as much time as possible with women. This is their year uh, well, at this rate. Well, it, so. it's because they are the angriest or most dissatisfied or most energized or all three parts of the electorate. I mean, I mean, Baker's running just an old school right. political establishment, political campaign, TV commercials that old people see, right? A, a kind of Capuano did a you version of that. Presley like did everything online. Going to places like the pub in South Boston where a certain crowd hangs out. Again, I'm not saying Gonzalez is the guy that can do it, but there is opportunity. He might not be the right candidate, but there is opportunity because... Baker's running just a really old school yeah. status quo campaign. All right, that is going to do it for the latest installment of The Scrum. Peter Kadzis, Joan Vanaki, thank you both for being here. It was great. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, thanks to you for taking the time to listen. We would love it if you subscribed to The Scrum. If you haven't already, you can find us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you get your podcast content. We'd also love to hear from you with praise, blame, or generic greetings. The best way to reach us is on Twitter. Peter is at Kadzis. Joan is at Joan underscore Vinaki. That's with two N's and one C, right? Correct. And I am at Riley Adam. We got significant production help for this episode from Gary Mott. Our engineer was John Parker. I'm Adam Riley. The Scrum is a production of WGBH News. <laughs>